In this episode, we'll hear from Hilal Fold, an influential technology blogger, writer, YouTube vlogger, and speaker with tens of thousands of loyal social media followers across the globe. He is a sought-after advisor and mentor to the technology community with an acute knowledge of tech marketing and experience working with numerous startups. In addition, he has his own entrepreneurial experiences founding tech companies and working with venture capital firms. He covers the fast-paced tech market for major publications and advises global technology brands. Hillel, thanks for joining us on our podcast series. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. In reading about your background, not only do you have your own tech blog, Tech and Marketing, you're an accomplished YouTube vlogger. You've been featured on CNBC. You write posts for Inc. Magazine. You work with major companies like Google and Oracle and Microsoft. So tell us about that journey. How'd you get here? Well, first of all, I should pay you for PR. I guess your check is in the mail. <laughs> that introduction. So how did I get here? Well, I found myself at my first job after college. I have a degree in political science, clearly unrelated to what I do. And I always had this deep passion for technology. I'm talking well before it was cool to love technology. Today, everyone loves technology, but I'm talking pre-iPhone, pre-social media, pre-everything. And uh, I was at my first job, just basically bored out of my mind. My first job was a technical writer. So I wrote user guides for enterprise companies. So it doesn't get much boring than that. And I just literally opened up a web browser and I started to write my thoughts about technology. I called it a tech diary. And today we call it a blog, but at the time that wasn't a word. And there was no business model. I wasn't monetizing. I wasn't doing SEO. I didn't care who was reading it. But it turned out a lot of people were reading it. And so I started to get emails from entrepreneurs asking me to meet them to give them advice. And that's when the imposter syndrome kicked in because here I am, some anonymous guy writing on a keyboard and all these hotshot CEOs are asking me for advice. So I played along and I'd meet these guys and you know I'd ask them to pitch me and they would pitch me like an engineer. You know, we've developed an algorithm. And I, I said, no one cares about your algorithm. What do you do? Right. And I realized these guys, you know, as great as they are at building technology and product, they stink at communication and business. So I just offered help. You know, I'd ask them who their competitors are and they would say, we have none. And I'd explain to them that's a ridiculous answer. And then I'd explain to them that they need a go-to-market strategy. I would just try to help, really. And over the years, a lot of these companies came back to me, sometimes literally a decade later. And said, listen, you helped us early on. We know what you're capable of. We want to work with you. So I built myself a venture capital firm without capital. I have this big portfolio of companies I work with. And yeah, I just you know, try to help them grow, whether it's social media, content, PR, business, fundraising, whatever it may be. It's interesting you talk about it this way because I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs of startup companies. And during the process of interviewing, you get a sense of who they are, what their skill sets are all about. And it's sort of you're in its unique position because you've interviewed or spoken with literally hundreds of entrepreneurs and you've been through listening to a hundreds of startup pitches. So I have to ask a question. What are the, some of the most important skills and attributes you found in successful entrepreneurs? I don't think people realize just how difficult entrepreneurship is. I know that we glorify it, right? We mm -hmm. read about all these monster rounds of $300 million and these IPOs and exits for billions of dollars. And we think like, Entrepreneurship, it's a fun ride, but in reality, I'd even go as far as to say, you've got to be actually nuts to be an entrepreneur. If I were to say to you, go stand in that place, in that location, and you're 95% chance of dying, you would never do that. That's just, that's ridiculous. But if I tell you, you're going to go spend seven years of your life and millions of dollars with someone else's money, and there's a 95% chance you're going to fail, and you still do it, that's because you're an entrepreneur in your blood, in your veins. You can't help it. It's not like you make a decision. You, it's just who you are. It really is statistically insane to be an entrepreneur. You really need to be resilient because many times 
but like to paint the picture as if it's a hockey stick. But in reality, it's more like a roller coaster, up and down, up and down, up and down. So that is for sure the most important thing, resilience and flexibility. Flexibility in terms of your ideas, in terms of being flexible and sort of seeing what's happening in the marketplace. What do you mean by that? At the end of the day, like I said, the chances of success are very, very low. And once you start doing competitive analysis and market research and you realize who you're up against, you realize, you know, many, many have tried to do this before but have failed or have succeeded, you might want to consider another path. That requires flexibility because, you know, you're building this thing that you're obviously very passionate about. So the last thing you want to do is change direction. But that's just part of the game. It's part of the journey. Got it. And you wrote one of your blog posts, and I found it fascinating. I think you were talking about your own experience here. You said, every interviewer now asks about your biggest failure. It's a thing, failure. And you just described that. And not necessarily a failure, but really it's, you you sort of have to recalibrate at certain points, right? You have to go back and and re-examine what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And is there a customer at the end of the day that will buy what we're producing? You wrote in another post, it said, no can be your best friend. Talk about that a little bit. I'm very proud to say that I've had two failed startups. They failed not because they weren't good products, but they failed in both cases because of timing. The first one was basically Slack before Slack. We won the Audience Choice Award at TechCrunch Disrupt. Microsoft Ventures invested. Everything was going great. And Slack ate our breakfast. And the second one was basically spontaneous podcasting, otherwise known as today Clubhouse. We were ahead of our time, and so we failed. Having said that, in both cases, we accomplished so many unbelievable things, especially with the second company. The launch was absolutely viral. And I learned so, so much from the failure. So I don't know if that's considered a failure if you're learning lessons. But the reality is, along the way, you're building a company. The last thing you want are yes men. The last thing you want are people saying to you, yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. What you want are people that are going to show you another perspective for you to consider. And again, if you learn from failures, if you fall down and you and up again, then it's not a failure. It's a lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, those that's experiential learning, right? And those tend to be the most expensive types of learning processes. But when you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, it's, it's almost like a necessary part of the journey. But one of the areas that you wrote about, you said every entrepreneur should set aside time to write. And you wrote here, I think it was that it's a skill that all founders should possess. Why is writing so important? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, the foundation of successful business and entrepreneurship is communication. In other words, if you're building a product and you don't know how to describe it to a three-year-old, I think it was Einstein who said that, but if you can't explain it to a three-year-old, then you clearly don't understand it yourself. And communication is so important for a CEO, for a founder. And I find that a lot of times these CEOs are actually engineers and they don't speak, quote unquote, normal English. They speak geeky English and, and people don't understand it. And you need to be able to teach yourself how to communicate the way your audience wants to be communicated with. And a great way to practice is writing. I don't necessarily think every founder needs to start a blog and publish it, but for themselves. I think when you write something down on a piece of paper or on your phone or on your computer, it helps you crystallize your thoughts. It helps you get your thoughts in order, structured. It's a skill that not only founders, by the way, I think most people. I write a lot about mental health recently, and I think Mm. one of the biggest, I would say, best coping mechanisms for someone who's dealing with mental health is writing, you know, writing a journal. Again, even if they don't publish it, I just think writing is a very, very important skill to have across the board. Right. For founders, it's incredibly important. As we're speaking here today, we're coming out of the pandemic. It's not only a crisis, it's a tragedy across the world, but we're certainly starting to come out of it. What we saw was a huge disruption and everyone's describing things as what will the new normal look like? 
And then how do you deal with the new normal? And especially as it relates to companies having to struggle with getting workers to come back to work and working from an office as opposed to working at home. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you've seen the evolution of people working from home. Do you think that's a good thing? Do you think people should be heading back to the office? I don't necessarily think that there's a right and wrong here. I think it very much depends on the company culture. There are definitely pluses and minuses to working from home you know, versus working in the office. I'm not sure that there's going to be kind of one rule fits all kind of thing, one size fits all. I think it's going to be very much depends on the company. On a personal level, when I like to get out and kind of work, whether it's in an office or a cafe even, versus working at home, because I get into work mode. But right. it's interesting to see where the professional world is going after this pandemic. I know that here in Israel, where I'm based, everybody's back. You know, masks are now no longer mandatory and mm. completely back to normal. You know, the cafes are full and the offices are full and pretty much everything's back to normal. Relative to embracing no from somebody else, one of the things I find about entrepreneurs is that they're oftentimes distracted by all the different ideas that are being thrown at them. And sometimes they don't use the word no often enough where, well, no, we're heading in this direction. We have limited resources. Yes, and we need to be aware of everything, but sometimes we get distracted and we go off into chasing those new shiny things that are out there. And maybe entrepreneurs should learn also the power of using the word no at times. 100%. Focus is extremely important. I think that Entrepreneurs that are not focused kind of on one vision, they get distracted, like you said, by shiny things, their chances of success decrease significantly. So yeah, I 100% agree. I think that both accepting and using the word no is an extremely important skill for an entrepreneur. And in terms of that, and again, you have to be open to new ideas. You have to be open to those suggestions or the ability to be flexible. But you also then have to realize that oftentimes you're dealing with a limited amount of resources and always remind yourself why you got into the business. What was the thing that you focused on that you thought might be unique? And that's oftentimes the problem I'm hearing from entrepreneurs in the way I describe them. Well, where's the market? Where do you see yourself in that limited slice where what you're working on will fill a need? And how did you define that need? Do you find that with entrepreneurs when you speak with them? It's a very good point. I phrase it a little bit differently when I talk to entrepreneurs and they start pitching me on their product. I say to them, whoa, I don't want to hear your solution. I want to focus for a second on the problem. What is the problem you're solving? Let's focus on that because whether I'm an investor or a potential partner or a journalist, whoever it may be, as an entrepreneur, you need to get the person you're sitting in front of to identify with the problem you're solving. If you start pitching them on your algorithm and your AI and machine learning and they don't even understand what problem you're solving, then you're wasting your time. So I think entrepreneurs should obsess with the problem and less with the solution. Interesting. I had an interview with someone recently who talked about where do you find where the problems are? And his idea was that, well, if you're in a technology business and let's say you're looking to make some sort of an app, go to forums, go to blogs and see what people are talking about. Where are they finding it difficult? And they have a problem having one program talk to another or perhaps they've found a piece in the market where they would say, gee, I wish somebody would invent this. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity to find where the problems are if you dig deep enough and you look for, let's say, non-traditional sources in terms of the information. So I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think, you know, a lot of times people get excited by the glory. They think, you know, entrepreneurs are super easy. And so they're like, people say this to me all the time. I want to be an entrepreneur. There's no such thing. You don't want to be an entrepreneur. Either you are or you aren't. A good entrepreneur usually tries to solve a problem that they themselves experience. So going to look for problems to become an entrepreneur, to build, I don't think that that's the right way to do it. I think you need to feel a certain pain point 
and then aim to fix that pain point. You need to have an emotional connection to that solution you're looking for. A hundred percent. I think without that emotional connection, there is absolutely no way that you're going to succeed. You need that obsession with the problem. You need to feel a real problem and then aim to solve it, not to go searching for a problem because you want to be an entrepreneur. I don't think that that's, I just think that the chances of success is that's how you start. The chances of success are very, very low. So that brings you back then to passion, right? So you have to be passionate about what you're working on. So passion is important. Without it, there's no chance, 100%. There's no, there's no way you can do this. I mean, the journey of entrepreneurship from inception to, you know, let's say IPO, it's usually, let's say, you know, seven to 10 years on average, I would say. Mm-hmm. Who the heck has the resilience to go dedicate their entire life 26 hours a day on something they're not passionate about? There's no way you can do this without passion. It's a very valid point. And you also use the word resilience. I think those are really very important attributes. But in terms of pitching and raising money, you mentioned before a couple of different ideas. If you had to distill it down, what are some of the key elements of a pitch that you believe is important for anybody? How about if I just fill it down to four letters? Will that be good enough for you? That's perfect, yeah. Four letters are F-O-M-O, FOMO. That is the entire world of fundraising in four letters. Your job as an entrepreneur is to create FOMO. For those that are unfamiliar, FOMO is fear of missing out. If you meet an investor and you create FOMO and that investor feels like if they don't invest, someone else will invest and they will miss out, that's when they take out their checkbook. If you come to an investor and you show them your product and it's just okay and your team is just okay and your market is just okay and technology is just okay, investor is not going to feel FOMO and they're not going to take out their checkbook. But if you come to an investor and show them your product and, and that investor begins to drool because it's the most beautiful thing they've ever seen, or you launched last week and you have 150,000 users, or I don't know, Eric Schmidt invested in your company or whatever, something is wow, something is home run, that's when FOMO is created and that's when the investor takes out their checkbook, quote unquote. So I think that that's basically the entire world of marketing and of fundraising. Create FOMO. Create FOMO. That's a great takeaway. We'll have a lot of budding entrepreneurs listening to this podcast and students who will be graduating shortly. What's your advice for them? What would you say, distill it down to a couple of key words that you say, okay, here's my words of wisdom for you new entrepreneurs? Okay, well, at the risk of sounding like a cliche, I could just tell you that, you know, here I am, a guy living in Israel who has never built a unicorn, has never built a successful company for that matter, and... All I did was follow my passion and, you know, follow it all the way. And I can tell you that the things that have happened to me over the years, if you had told me back then when I started blogging, these things would happen, I would have told you that there's something very wrong with you because it makes zero sense that here I am, a guy, like I said, just loved tech and went all in on that passion. And I met Steve Wozniak, the founder of Apple, in a hotel lobby in Tel Aviv to talk about tech or email Mark Andreessen who invented the web browser at Netscape and we have a relationship, you know, we're friends and Ellen DeGeneres follows me on Twitter. I can go on. There are the most insane things that happened to me over the years and there's only one explanation, only one. And that is that I ignored everyone who gave me short-term business advice and I went all in on my passion. You know, I did a commencement speech. I think you said you, you watched it. Yes. You know, when they asked me to do a commencement speech in a college in New York, I thought they got in the wrong person. I'm like, who do you think I am, Bill Gates? Why am I doing a commencement speech? And then I said to myself, you know what? That's what I'll talk about. And I got up there and I said to them, guys, I have imposter syndrome every day of my life. I have done nothing in my life besides follow my passion. And here I am giving you a commencement speech. So the lesson is pretty clear. In today's day and age, given the resources we have at our disposal, mainly the internet, there is literally nothing, and I mean nothing, that you can't accomplish. If you go all in on your passion, the most insane things. I mean, I don't know, two months ago, I gave a keynote 
at a global Google event. And again, like, who am I? Who am I to give a keynote at a Google event? And who am I to work, you know, and to get um, devices from Samsung and Apple to test? Like, who am I? I'm just some random guy. But I followed my dream. I followed my passion. And this is the result. And so that's the most important lesson to everyone. Just go all in on your passion and ignore everyone who tells you to monetize in the short term. Don't monetize in the short term. Build something valuable and the money will follow down the road. Wow, that's great advice. And look, following your passion, certainly, that's a critical element that will carry you through, right? In anything you do. Okay, next question. What one word describes who you are? Ambitious. Okay. In terms of being ambitious, you mentioned before about you know following your passion. Is it just to be successful? Talk about that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. No, so my ambitions are absolutely not to be successful. What I'm driven by is impact. And uh, not a day goes by where I don't get a message from someone, whoever it is, whether they're responding to my gratitude list or my mental health post or my content in general, whatever it may be, but not a day goes by where I don't get a message from someone thanking me for impacting their lives. And that, to me, is the biggest sign of success. If you're making an impact, that's what it's all about. And so, again, money will follow. If you do good, you will do well, period. But you got to focus on doing good. you got to focus on impact in the short term and not on, you know, how do I monetize? I mean, I'll give you a very basic example, right? So let's say I release an app. I have an app. I have two choices. I can either put, you know, these crappy ads in my app so that people click on it by accident and I make a couple of bucks, or... I could say, I'm going to build an amazing app that people are going to love. And later on, when I have 100 million users or 2.5 billion users in Facebook's case, then I'll figure out how to monetize. That, in my opinion, is the right way to go. You need to invest in growth in the beginning by building an amazing product. In my case, we're talking about impact. But it's true about product. It's true about everything. And let the money come down the road. I'd say that the less you sell, the more you sell. But you play the long game. That's really what I focused on throughout my career is helping other people win. And you end up winning if you do that. You know what? I got to tell you something, Hillel. That, that is absolutely brilliant. And being impactful and not necessarily looking at your bank account every day, because as you say, in the long run, if you're making an impact in the lives of other people, the money will come. There's a lot of rewards in life that money can't buy. And being impactful for others and being a positive difference in the lives of others is as important as anything else. It's also not mutually exclusive. That's the important point here. Yeah. In other words, mm. I'll give you a practical example, right? So I've probably helped, I don't know what, over 100 startups raise funding. And I don't take a finder's fee. They offer me, you know, 5%. I don't take it. People think I'm crazy. But you know what? In the long run, the investor trusts me more. The startup trusts me more. It ends up paying off from a quote-unquote karma perspective, but more importantly, from a financial perspective. Because I can leverage those relationships down the road to build a really large business, but it's based on integrity. And for me to take 5% out of a startup pocket because I sent an email just doesn't feel right. And many people do it. And I'm not judging anyone. But for me, that's the short-term game. And I, I'm willing to give up on that short-term game to gain the long run. That's what it's about. Hello. Thank you for those insights and advice. I really appreciate you being with us today. And I think our listeners will get a lot out of this. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thanks. As Hillel described, the entrepreneur's path is often not the image of a hockey stick with an upward angle of revenue growth and profitability. Instead, it is most often a roller coaster ride with extreme highs and lows. To be successful, the entrepreneur requires resilience and passion. But one thing about passion is not to let it blind you to the necessity of being flexible. Staying on your initial path and ignoring signs to pivot or course correct may lead to failure. But that's part of the journey. 
you'll learn lessons along the way to building your business. The power of no is an important lesson to understand. Having yes people around is not healthy. You need a devil's advocate that will question and provide alternative perspectives to consider. And saying no at times is essential. Stay focused on your vision and say no to distractions that steer you away from your objectives. Hillel emphasized that writing is a crucial skill an entrepreneur should possess. Avoid techno-speak, arcane words, or jargon that may confuse your audience. Learn how to communicate so your ideas are easily understood. And as Hillel points out, writing is a great way to practice. A famous quote from Einstein seems to sum it up. If you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. Let's talk about FOMO, the fear of missing out. As Hillel described, it's the essence of why investors write a check. Make your story so compelling that if they don't invest, they will fear someone else will. Finally, Hillel talked about impacting others and taking the long view on investing your time and talent. As he described, making a positive difference and making money are not mutually exclusive. You can have both. Thanks to Hillel for sharing his experiences and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talatia and Paulina Lamanier for all their support. Until next time.